0: What's good everybody and welcome! to another episode of the Amatelica T.I.S. podcast here with you on this Wednesday, September the 15th, 2021. I'm your host, Jai Shields, and boy do we have a lot to get through and get to here today. I will recap uh, all the happenings as far as week one of the 2021 NFL season is concerned. The Bills losing, the Bills choking a double-digit lead to the Steelers. Titans not showing up against the Arizona Cardinals, same old Jets the Jets of the Jets. Once you're a Jet, you're a Jet all the way. My Cincinnati Bengals escaping the Minnesota Vikings in overtime. Joe Judge is an absolute fool. The Packers get embarrassed by famous Jameis and the Saints defense, which has not skipped a beat post in their first official game post Drew Brees. I will recap the Browns and the Saints uh and i got a couple things to say about the uh, bears rams game from sunday night which was at, which did absolutely awful in the ratings but then and then i'll get in preview week 2 using my picks for week 2 um and get into a little bit of baseball the giants clinching uh, clinched a clinched the playoff spot within the last 24 48 hours and i got a couple things to say as far as the uh clown of a manager that is for my Baltimore Orioles and Brandon Hyde, but where we begin here in this opening segment of the show, and nice to have you with us, is uh, is what an absolute classic that Raiders and Rams game was on on Monday night, the first Monday night football game of the year, and my, and it most likely is going to go down as one of the, is of it's most likely going to go down as if it is going to go down as the best Monday Night Football game of the year, and it was only the first one. An absolute classic between between the Baltimore Ravens and the Las Vegas Raiders. The first game inside of Allegiant Stadium with a packed house. The, the atmosphere inside of that stadium was absolutely electri- electrifying and came across well on, on TV. Uh, just what an absolute game. What an absolute uh, job by the Raider fans. It's just a phenom- the, the whole experience from 8.15 at night till about 11, around 11.50, if not a little after midnight on the East Coast was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, Raiders, of course, winning the game 33-27. I mean, you got to... Before I get to the Ravens, and I will get to them in a minute, they got to give the Las Vegas Raiders credit on how well of a football game uh, they played on uh, a few days ago. Derek Carr, 34 for 56, threw for 335 passing yards, two touchdowns, uh, was just absolutely off the charts. What a What a game-time drive he had. Uh, you know, leading the leading the Raiders down the field with no timeouts, about 35 seconds or so remaining in uh, in regulation, has the Raiders march down the field like it's nobody's business. A completion there, completion there. Next thing you know, the Raiders are in field goal range uh, when it looked like they're going to be down for the count. Thanks to the magnificent uh, Justin Tucker nailing what could have been a game-winning field goal with under a minute to go in the fourth quarter. Derek Carr leads the Raiders' offense down. The- down the field like clockwork and all of a sudden the Raiders are in field goal range and a game is tied for like the third time within the last 5 minutes uh in of play during the fourth during the fourth quarter Darren Waller who it was his 29th birthday on Monday he has he had a, himself a birthday that he will never soon forget and I and I when I won't forget it either because I was going up against my brother in fantasy this week to open up the uh the football season and I was up by like I I, th- I think I want to say like maybe 10, 15 points heading into the Monday night game tonight. And Darren, and Darren Waller was uh, Carr's partner in crime. And it got up to, I think it was like midway second quarter. D- Darren Waller didn't do anything special, just caught a nice little five-yard catch. I was like, all right, that's it, Ian, congratulations on the win. Because the only guy my brother Ian had going for him on his fantasy team was Darren Waller. What does he do? Ten receptions, 105 yards, and a touchdown catch. I mean, talk about a happy birthday for uh, for Darren for Darren Waller! What a phenomenal job by the uh, Los Ra- by the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, also not just their offense, but their defense was absolutely phenomenal. How about that? How about that sack and that hit in the in the strip scenario by Carl Nassib? Shout out to him. Uh, the uh the the the, the first and only openly gay player in the National Football League. Shout out to him. What a phenomenal job! I mean, he, he's he's no Michael Sam. I can tell you that. You know, he, he this is who I am. This is who I am. You know, I'm free to I'm free to, and I want you all to to accept me of, of who I am. But at the bottom line, I'm still a football player, and I'm and I'm on this football team to, to help us to help us win games. And I want to win, and I want to make as much money as I possibly can in the league, along with anybody else that's playing football. So I got mad respect for him. He had one of the plays of the game where he hit, he got, where he kind of let off that little two piece hit. Allamore, which uh, had him fumble in the over in the overtime uh, in the overtime period to give the Raiders back the ball in mid late uh, in the mid in the mid latter portions of the overtime period on Monday night, he did a phenomenal job. Max Crosby was absolutely off the charts. Max Crosby had six total, t- had uh, six tackles, four of them solo, two of them with his tackle for a loss. I mean, I swear to you, it was it was like any single time the Raiders needed a play, Max Crosby stepped up big time and was there, and was there and was there to make it. Uh, of course, Colin Nassib, of course, three tackles in the game, three tackles in the game, all of them solo, and he had a sack in the game. That, of course, being the Lamar strip sack uh, to kind of uh, put the icing on the cake, or, or not icing on the cake, but set up Derek Carr in the Raiders offense to uh, to go out there and win the game and seal off of what was an absolutely phenomenal night, phenomenal night of football. And I tweeted it out Uh, and I tweeted it out late Saturday, uh, excuse me, late Sunday afternoon. I said, I said, here, here the games of week one. Cowboy, cowboys and bucks, which was abs- which was absolutely off the charts. Uh, we'll get that. We'll get to them after the break. Cowboys and bucks was off the charts. Uh, my Bengals and the my Cincinnati Bengals ended up playing an entertaining uh, football game along with the Minnesota Vikings in their game, and of course Browns and then of course Browns and Chiefs went down to the wire as well. And then I tweeted out late, late uh, uh Monday night. Add Ravens Raiders to the list of of, uh, of the four best uh, week of the four best week one games that was over the over the uh, last four three uh, over the last three four days or so but the Raiders defense was absolutely phenomenal they helped they uh helped, they uh, they only allowed the Ravens to score three touchdowns in a game kept them out of the end zone in the third quarter and of course in the overtime period i mean this did a phenom- did a phenomenal job Lamar jackson contained contained him as best as the- they possibly could. He was held under 90 yards rushing. Didn't uh, didn't have a didn't have a necessarily great night throwing the football. All things being considered, and they held the Ravens to 25 percent. On third down, so give the, all the credit in the world to the Raiders. Their fans showed up. The atmosphere was electric. Derek Carr played that played one of his. Play, I haven't seen Derek Carr play a game that great, in my honest opinion, since since the year he should have won MVP when he when he when he injured his when he injured his leg. When I thought that the Raiders were essentially going to cruise their way to the to the uh, to the Super Bowl uh, quite a few years back, I haven't seen them play a football game as, uh, as great as great as as great of a game since then but Monday night he was absolutely sensational. Darren Waller was fantastic. Hell of a 29th birthday for him. The the Las, the Las Vegas Raiders defense was absolutely phenomenal, especially their pass rush led by Nassib and and Max Crosby. What a night they had and a phenomenal job by by the uh by the Oakland Raiders uh, coaching staff. You know, and the thing and the thing that's going to worry you about with the Oakland Raiders and I predicted them to go 7 and 10 prior to the season started is that we know that the Raiders can put up points and we know the Raiders have players on their team that have pro bowl caliber talent. Raiders get themselves in trouble is the fact that you know back-to-back seasons in 2020 and I uh, in 2019 they started this they were they started the first ten games of the season are hovering around if not on the ne- at on the button in the neighborhood of starting their uh, starting the season six and four and then they proceed to collapse in November and December latest latest edition back on, back the day back uh of December last year the day after Christmas when they when their defense absolutely imploded and they allowed Ryan Fitzpatrick to work his magic and march the uh, and march the dolphins down the field to essentially give the the coup de grace to the 2020 Vegas Raiders playoff hopes, and then of course, and then last season when they when last season when they collapsed as well. But you know, so the Raiders' problem is they've been a solid football team and a playoff caliber football team for the first two months of the season in September and October. The Raiders are good. You know, last you know last year they started out they started they started out their season last season two and zero. They knocked off they knocked off the, they knocked off the Saints in week two on Monday night and on Monday night football and they again had a strong start to this season, played good football in September and October. But where the rubber will meet the road and the ultimate litmus test for the 2021 Vegas Raiders is what are they going to do once the calendar turns from October to November? And if they collapse like and if they collapse like they have done for the for the last uh two seasons now or so Things things have to people have to be moved and changes need to be made. Because it's too because there's too much uh you know, Pro Bowl Caliber talent on this team for them to be as bad for them to be as bad as they as they are on a year in, year out basis. And and in my eyes, that fall that falls on uh that falls on the head coach with Gruden. So Maybe the Raiders will prove me wrong, and and they'll win, you know, nine, ten games or so, and steal a wild card spot. You know, it remains to be remains to be seen. But but I have to see it to believe it. For me. And I understand hindsight's twenty twenty as far as my predictions are concerned, but I gotta see it to believe it that the uh, that the Vegas Raiders are gonna be are gonna be there, you know, come Thanksgiving time. Compete. I think they played the Cowboys. I think they played the Cowboys uh, on Thanksgiving. Let me check. Uh, you know, I I have to see more, and I have to see it to believe it that the Raiders will be right there in the thick of things in the AFC uh, playoff hunt. Uh, come Thanksgiving when, in fact, they do play the Cowboys... Uh, you know, for me to see that they're a, uh, that they're going to be taken seriously as a AFC wild card team, but that's just me. Um, and then, and then also you got, you know, but that's, that's just how I feel. Now, again, they have, they have talent, they have talent on their team, and, you know, they have the potential to be it to be a good team that can make it, you know, that if all breaks right, makes a playoff run. I mean, hell. I mean, what Kansas City when, uh, I think Kansas City went fourteen and two. I think they went fourteen and two last year. It's going off the top of my head. They, but but their first loss of the season, mid October, came you know came against came against the Vegas Raiders that put up points. So this team is so they're they're not the Detroit Lions, all right. They're not the um, you know they're not the Houston Texans. They're not the Jacksonville Jaguars. They got talent on their team and they can make the playoffs if all goes right. But the but again are they going to be able to stick together and still play solid football for uh for the entire uh, football season not just the first two months of it that that's the raiders perspective that's item that's item number 1 item number 2 is the baltimore ravens who are absolutely beyond pathetic or well maybe pathetic is a little strong but well their defense was, but were very, very disappointing on Monday night. The Ravens offensive line was spot was was spotty as all get out. You go ahead and you take and you go ahead and you take a look uh, and you go ahead and you take a look at the stats uh, as far as uh what the Raiders did on de- as far as what the Raiders did on defense. Um, yeah, I mean the phenomenal job again. Nassib with the sack. Offensive line was spotty. Lamar Jackson uh, did not have a fantastic day at the office. The the Raiders, as a team, collected up th- collected up three sacks. Uh, again, Ravens offensive line was very spotty. Alejandro Villanueva was t- was was taken to the clinic, the clinic. By Max Crosby uh, on Monday night. He again. I understand that they had to make the move with Orlando Brown because of a cap issue, but but again, maybe maybe his days as an All-Pro offensive lineman in the league may have passed may have passed him by. Lamar Jackson was not was not anything. Espe- I mean, he had his moments where he, where you know where you sit there, and you go, holy crap, what what the heck did I just watch? Lamar Jackson is a magician. Lamar Jackson something I never seen before. Lamar. Jackson is Michael Vick two point So he had many of those moments during the during uh, Monday Night's game where he had where you where he had you saying, "Holy crap, look at this!" And then there was some other moments in the game where Lamar Jackson. Was I mean? It was it was it was the Lamar Jackson of the of the Buffalo Bills game to be quite, back in January. To be quite honest with you, I mean he had a I mean he had a wide open receiver on third and seven, four thirty nine to go in the overtime period. had a had a had a receiver wide open. Wide open on a curl route, you know, at the when they had the ball uh, inside their own 35 yard line, and Lamar Jackson holds on to the ball, holds on to the football for two seconds too long, gets sacked, stripped by Nasib, fumbles, and all of a sudden the Raiders have the ball with an opportunity to win the game. Had a wide open receiver at the sticks on a third and seven, and Lamar didn't throw it to him. He also he also had there were moments during that game on Monday night where Lamar Jackson was very, very inaccurate. Had, you know, would have wide receivers open right in front of him. He'd throw it down at their feet. Uh, Hollywood Brown had an impressive catch, I believe, in the first half. Or if not, it could, might have been the second half where Hollywood Brown is wide open and he has to lean and reach out with one hand to bring the ball back in because of a bad because of a bad throw by Lamar. And then of course, and then of course, Lamar Jackson, uh, Lamar Jackson fumbled a football left and right. So you know, had his moments where had his moments where you said to yourself, "Holy crap, Lamar Jackson is really going to win this football game by himself." And he had moments where where he invited the Raiders back back into the game you know you know and the and the ravens you know ravens ravens blew a double ravens blew a double digit lead in this game how in the world the ra- how in the world the ravens defense which didn't get talked about uh which didn't get talked about and ridiculed enough. Uh, as I've been reading and seeing in the media over the last 72 hours ago, how in the world the Ravens defense with Wink Martindale, who's supposed to be, you know, Marvin Lewis of the 2000 Ravens defense, how in the world does, does that defense absolutely implode implode in the second half and allow the, I understand that they held the Ra- Raiders to zero points in the third quarter, but how do they allow them to allow them to implode for 24, excuse me, for 23 second half points, seventeen, seventeen 17 points scored in the fourth quarter. How how does they allow that to happen and allow Derek Carr to and allow Derek Carr to throw for for over 430 yards? I mean, if this was Can- if this was Kansas City, a uh, you know, th- coming up this uh, this Sunday night, this game wouldn't have been the overtime. This game would have. This game would have had you know uh, forty would have had forty to uh, forty to seventeen, forty to twenty written all over it. You wouldn't have had to worry about no overtime if, if because if their defense plays like the way they did Monday night against Kansas City, you might as well you might as well tell the fans to to be prepared to leave at halftime because if their defense plays as pathetic and as poorly and implodes like a cheap tent on the clearance rack like they did on Monday night in the second half. You you might you might as well you might as well turn to my homes and say congratulations for kicking our tail for for the second for what a second third year in a row congratulations to two and oh and and let and let them know and let the fans know so they can be prepared to leave by halftime so they can go to work come come next Monday morning if their defense em, if their defense emulates how they played against the Raiders on Monday night I mean how many times is Wink Martindale going to send an all out blitz. Send an all-out blitz Cover zero stack the box where there's where there's one where there's one maybe two members of the secondary up top one one safety back deep and and have and and stack the box and and then and, and, and blitz the hell out of Derek Carr how many times are they going to is does Martindale have to send a cover zero blitz before he realizes that the Raiders are just going to eat it up like his lunch and stretch the field vertically and have Derek Carr show off his arm and and find Derek Waller over Open on the seam or find Henry Ruggs. I mean, how many times? How many times are they going to allow that to happen before they change their defense? I swear to you, they they called a, about a million cover zeros and a million all-out blitzes, including with the safety. I mean, on the game on a game-winning play, why is Marlon Humphreys playing so playing so far up towards the line of scrimmage? Why is he doing it? Can somebody explain that to me, please? On on a game winning touchdown pass. Why is Marlon Humphrey playing in the box? Why risk that? For, you know, I understand that maybe you know have him fake like he's blitzing and drop back and come, but but when the, but when the field is short because the Raven because the Raiders have such great a field position because of Lamar's fumble. Why take that risk and why and why and why risk that? She I mean, should have been. Th- you should thank your lucky I mean, they should have been th- thanking their lucky stars earlier in the overtime period that his face didn't didn't score, you know, didn't score on the first on the first possession at the beginning of overtime down the right sideline when his knee was down at the half yard line. Game should have been over then. Alex Leatherwood screws up. Ten yard, you know, about five ten yards backwards. The Raiders go. And then Derek and then Derek Carr throws a pass that goes in between the hands of former Raven wide receiver Willie Sneed off the and you know, off a of Raven defender's helmet and it's in, and it's next thing you know it's intercepted and the Ravens have life. But one, Martin well, Martindale was so. I mean, I didn't count them. Uh, you know, if I could go back and look at it, or any of you guys out there, you know, tweeted at me at the J Shield. But I, I swear to you, the Raven, Martindale, and and the and whoever was, you know, the the signal callers on the Ravens defense. I swear on my grandfather's grave, they must have called about two dozen, about two dozen Cover Zero's all-out blitzes in that during the sequence of that game. Every single time, turn around, the Ravens were just sending pressure, and Derek Carr knew that he was like, all right, well, as long as I get the ball out of my hands in two seconds, and Dar- and Darren Waller is bound to be wide open because because he was because they, the Ravens couldn't guard him uh, to save to save their freaking lives. I'll find him, give the ball off to him, and we'll just murder. Down the field and do it that way, or we'll find wide receivers open down the sideline on man-to-man coverage because the Ravens, for whatever the reason, have one of their safeties one of their corners, uh, you know, in, in the box to try to get us, uh, try to get us by surprise on the blitz. You know, okay, I have a, a, a second and a half to throw the ball, but if the, but as long as I get the ball off and I have enough pressure for for one and a half, two and a half seconds, should be gravy, and that's exactly what they did. Took advantage again. Give the Raiders a ton of credit, ton of credit. They took advantage of the god awful defenses and the defensive formations and the defensive plays that the Ravens ran and took and took advantage and took advantage of them, took advantage of them, and give them all the credit in the world for doing so. Because again, Ravens defense. I understand you guys lost Marcus Peters, you know, a few days before the game, but their performance, especially especially in the second half, was absolutely deplorable. I swear to you, they they must have ran about a dozen, if not two dozen, all-out blitzes, especially in the second half. I swear to you, they must have ran about a dozen to two dozen all-out blitzes, cover zeroes, whatever you want to call it. They, I mean, they ran them nonstop every single time. Every single time you turn around, the Ravens had were stacking the box, and you and you could. I mean, it was so blatantly obvious. All you had to do, you know, if you if you caught a run play up the if you caught a run play up the middle, you know, out of shotgun formation, all you literally had to do is just audible to either a quick slant pattern or have your receivers run go routes on the outside, and and tell your offensive linemen. Protect me for literally two seconds and this place is going to be be money and we're going to get a huge chunk of yardage out of it. They ran all-out blitzes all night long. All night long. And for whatever the reason, they kept on running them because apparently Wink Martindale doesn't know the definition of insanity doing the same damn thing over and over again expecting different results. Ravens' offensive line was spotty. Lamar had his moments of greatness, but did not play a great game overall. And the Ravens defense absolutely imploded. And here's a stat before, we, before I go to a break. The Ravens won 98 straight games, went up 14 points or more in the last 98 games. Last 98 games, they won 98 of those in a row went up fourteen or more points in any period in the game. Their first loss in doing so. That was the second longest streak by any team since nineteen thirty. So I understand, you know, event, you know, not every team's gonna be perfect and and set these ridiculous records, but if you're a ra it was a hell of a game, but if you're a Ravens fan, you're absolutely sick. Sick to your freaking stomach. Because that was the game you guys you guys could have had as a confidence builder and as the com- and as a confidence booster heading into heading into the chief game. Because the chief game will, will won't be easy and will not be a cakewalk under any circumstances. And again, just like last season, the chief game is 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 going to be the litmus test for the Ravens of how far they go this year. And, you know, are they are they a playoff team that's going to get bounced in the first round? Maybe get lucky wild card weekend and get bounced in the divisional round? Are they a team that if they run into Kansas City again in the postseason, a la Cleveland, although Cleveland, you know, was 0-2 in their last two meetings against Kansas City, but could be like Cleveland and put up and put up a good fight, a good solid fight against Kansas City. That remains to be seen. And they could have won it, and they could have went into Sunday night's game. A huge confidence booster. Could have been feeling themselves, been like, all right, well, I understand it's Kansas City, but we played very well against the Raiders. Season opener, Sunday night football in front, of the, in front of the entire country. Let's go. But one, the case. And the only, the only silver lining out of Monday night's game is that the Ravens sit there uh, are going to are going to be able to sit there, the defensive staff, Harbaugh, the entire defense, everybody. They're going to sit there to and say to themselves, "All right, Monday night's game defensively in the second half we were atrocious, but let's learn. Let's take. Let's use this as a as a uh, as a teachable moment, as a learning tool, so we know what not to do once we play Mahomes, Hill, Hardman, Kelsey, and company." 'Cause again, if that was Mahomes and Kelsey on their field on Monday night and not, you know, Derek Carr and, you know, Henry Ruggs, there wouldn't there wouldn't have been no overtime. Wouldn't have been no overtime. But that's where we begin. Game was so great. You had you, The game was so great. You had to lead with it. I mean, i, I understand You had uh, you know, you had good games during during the Sunday block. But that game was so great and it was so crazy and so up and down. What the heck is going on? You had to lead with it. So Raiders played well, but I still got. But I gotta see it to believe it. They're going to be taken seriously as a uh, as a uh, as a AFC wild card playoff contending team. And their litmus test will come will come down the line, uh, you know, in the last two full months of the season. Although, albeit that the defense was phenomenal and Derek Carr was off the charts, and from a Ravens perspective, their defense or excuse me, their offense stalled. Offensive line wasn't great, and their defense absolutely imploded, imploded in the second half. Disgraceful. Take a break, get to the other games in week one of the National Football League. Back in the Fascist, the Yamatelika TIS podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Yamatel Ketelius podcast. As we switch gears now to the rest of the week one action as far as the National Football League is concerned. Uh, let's get right into it. First off, the kickoff game between the between the Cowboys and the Bucks was absolutely off the charts. Like I said in the last segment, uh, one of the great games that this week one had to offer. I mean, is Tom Brady 44 or is Tom Brady 24? I mean, the ball was coming out of his hand. Like I mean I don't know why I don't know how to, how to describe it I mean Tom Brady played as played as great as played as he I mean it's like the man does not age he he's I mean as the older you get your play's supposed to go down now it's it's like it's it's it's, it's backwards I mean uh, uh, it's 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 ridiculous I mean he's forty four he's forty four years of age and he threw he's you know he's got the most. Uh, week one wins as a quarterback since 1950. He threw for, you get his numbers, he threw for, he was uh, 32 of 50, 379 passing yards, due for four touchdowns, two interceptions, really that you can't even charge Brady, well one of them you can't charge Brady with, which was the Hail Mary at the end of the half, you can throw that one out the window, that was inconsequential. And then the interception he threw to Leonard Fournette because Fournette allowed the ball on an easy on an easy screen play, that, you know, the ball was Was thrown direct, you know, was a lob pass right in front of him on on a halfback screen pattern, and the ball hits Fournette right in his helmet, and the but and it's uh, and it's uh, interception uh, possession belonging to the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, he he's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's I I I mean you run out of words trying to describe how 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 great he is. I mean, (laughs) I mean, and and I shouldn't be surprised. But part of me still is because you know this man is 44 years of age, he's what uh, he's a he's about six months, if that, older than my father. Hell, Brady is old enough to be my father, and he's still. Playing at an elite level, coming off of a Super Bowl championship season. I mean, I, I and I understand that that the Cowboys' defense stinks, but oh my goodness, oh my goodness gracious! I mean, it, it's 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 absolutely jaw dropping how 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 great this man is continuing to play at this level. That that's what that's why I that's why I literally I can't I can't hate on him anymore. I can't I, he he when he won that Super Bowl back in February, he broke me. He broke me. I, I he he won he won my respect and he won my fandom. How can I, I mean outside of the fact that he's coming out of his shell and his personality and he's sneaky, funny and everything else, but just at Tom Brady, the quarterback alone. I mean, it, he you 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 can you can't be pissed off at it at this point. I mean, you, 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 all you gotta do is smile and laugh about it because it's ridiculous how well he's playing at this point in his career. They and and he did and he did this throwing the football fifty times. The Tampa, Tampa Bay's running game was atrocious last Thursday night, and Tom Brady still carved up the still carved up the Cowboy defense and dropped thirty one points on him. Antonio Brown held the game, caught five receptions for 121 yards and a touchdown. Chris Godwin nine catches, 105 yards, a touchdown catch. Gronk caught two touchdown, uh, caught two touchdown passes on an eight reception, 90 yard, 90 receiving yard performance. I it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, and and it should be and should, and I should have expected this and I should have saw this coming. I mean, I did because I picked uh, Tampa to win the game, but that but predicting it without, without the, you know, with the game still, still having yet to be played and then seeing it live on television with your own eyeballs is, is two totally separate things. And I, and, I, and I, and I tell you this too, if Antonio Brown keeps his head on straight, stays out of trouble and just focuses on being a solid football player, He will be up there once again with one of the game's best wide receivers right now. He was there with those years in Pittsburgh in 2018, 17, 16, 15, 14. Keeps his head on straight and keeps himself out of trouble. He could be back up in that conversation again. Because the the only reason why Antonio Brown was taken out of that category to begin with is because is because he never played because he kept him because he wouldn't keep because he he couldn't keep himself out of trouble. Because we all know, if Antonio Brown keeps himself out of trouble and keeps his head on straight, he he's up there, he's up there with Devontae Adams, a healthy Mike Thomas, as one of the as one of the best wide receivers this game has the, has to offer. DK Metcalf, you name it. He's up there he's up there with them. If every, you know, if 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 he keeps his head on straight and keeps himself out of trouble. That's another thing too that that I picked up on last Thursday night. Antonio Brown still has best wide receiver in football type talent, which I understand was never in question, but still he he, st- he still has it. The man the man had 5 receptions, 121 receiving yards and a touchdown catch. On Thursday. I mean, that those those were numbers he, those were numbers he was putting up back in Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh had one of the game's elite offenses. Fantastic, and then of course and then of course Dak what a game what a game and I was worried about Dak going into that game you know I I said I said on air I said look I'm more concerned about his shoulder than I am his foot. Or excuse me, his ankle and his sh- and his shoulder issues that we saw during hard knocks and all throughout training camp that kept him sideline all throughout the preseason. They were not a factor. Forty-two of fifty-eight, four hundred and three passing yards and three touchdown, ca- three touchdown passes. He was absolutely phenomenal. Amari Cooper played his ass off, 13 receptions, 139 yards receiving, two touchdown catches. CeeDee Lamb had a seven reception, 104-yard performance and a touchdown catch and a, and a, and a shout out to CeeDee Lamb for having that phenomenal performance because it looked because I swear to you in the first quarter, every single ball that was that was going in CeeDee Lamb's direction, he he wasn't able to maintain it. I think it began I think I think it like his first two first three uh targets of the game we were all drops. And then, you know, after he got after he got his uh, first game of the season jitters out the way, it was all business. And and he and Amari Cooper put up big time numbers receiving wise for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you know, and, you know, the Dallas, the only mistakes that the, that the Cowboys made was the fact was one, why in the world Mike McCarthy sent out uh, Greg Zerline to kick that 60 plus yard field goal at the end of the half, I, or towards the end of the half, I will never in a million years understand when he was absolutely abysmal, uh, abysmal for Dallas. For Dallas on Thursday night, as far as uh, his field goal kicking and his extra and his extra points are concerned, I believe what did he do? He was three or five for field goals and missed an extra point. So he, in total, he in total, he left seven points on the board, and the and the Cowboys and the Cowboys lost by two. So you so both teams deserve to win the game, but it came it what it came down to was Zerline's missed kicks. Three of five, three of five kicking field goals and two of three the extra points. Uh, Do the math, that's seven points Zerline left on the board because he, he, he either hit the crossbar, hit the upright, or was missing kicks wide right, wide left. So, so he was an issue. Uh... McCarthy sending up, that, sending him out there when he had an when he had an awful first half kicking the football with that extra long field goal that he that he attempted to kick from damn near midfield. I don't understand. And I also and I, I well I well not that I don't understand, but something that would worry me. And your defense, it's better. They made some they made some plays. You know, force forces some turnovers. The like Cowboys' defense did, but still, when you allow Tom Brady to march down the field like it's nobody's business, like he's done for the last 20 years or so, and you give up 30. 30- one points. You allow two receivers to have over a hundred yard receiving uh, nights, and Tom Brady throws for four touchdown passes and damn near four hundred yards. It, you know, you, you have saying that the Cowboys defense has improved. It ain't saying much, all things being considered. And the thing that would concern me from a Dallas Cowboys perspective, if we move on to the Steelers and the Bills, is the fact that Zeke Elliott. I mean, my goodness, I understand. That you yeah, that I guess that their that their game plan has kind of changed from allowing Zeke to take over the game and run the ball down your down your throat and this that and the other. So maybe the, maybe the Cowboys have gotten away of gotten away from that philosophy offensively. But still, for a guy for a, I I forget how much he's making how much uh, he's making per season. But for a man for a player that's about uh, what two seasons removed from signing a, a huge contract extension that used to. be be the highest played player on the team. I understand he get he got 11 carries, but still on that 11 carries, you got, you, you know, you got with whatever little reps or what little opportunities you have in the course of a game, you got to make the most of them. And averaging three yards a carry, 33 yards on the ground is not doing it. Not doing it so i would be i'd be concerned about zeke because eventually it's just going to get to the point where you know where opposing defenses is just going to say all right well they're going to let Dak throw the ball 40 and 50 times a game zeke stinks he can't run and so we'll 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 let a Zeke that looks like he's on a downward decline of his career with a big fat brand new contract. We'll allow we'll allow him to beat us, a la what a la what the Cowboys' formula was in his rookie season. Before we let Dak Prescott, you know, throw for over four hundred yards and three touchdowns on us. That's one thing you'd be afraid about if you're Dallas, because defense is going to see this it, be like, hey, they can't run the ball as well as they used to. Zeke essentially is not a factor in the, in their off offensive game plan. All we got to do is just stop Dak and make sure that Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb don't go nuts. And and you know, and if we hold Dallas to less than 28 points, we should be good. But that's my two cents on the uh on the, Ra- the Raiders the Cowboys and Buc- the Cowboys and Buccaneers game. Game number 1 for Sunday that I want to get into is the Steelers coming back down uh down 10 points uh down 10 points at at the end of the first half to steal. And I do mean steal, no pun intended. a game from Buffalo 23-16. The offense was sh- the uh, again Ben Roethlisberger, who I still think is shot and I and I still think does not have much left as far as uh, his career as an NFL quarterback is concerned. 18 of 32, 188 yards pass, passing, and one touchdown pass. You know, is not anything to uh, you know write home about or or to celebrate about. Najee Harris didn't didn't run the ball like didn't run the ball like crazy either. To no no surprise, and the wide receivers weren't a factor either. But yeah, I tell you who you do give credit to is Tomlin and the uh, and the Steelers defense. We'll get to the Buffalo Bills imploding in a minute. Uh, the fact that the Steelers defense was, was absolutely was absolutely phenomenal. They had that block. They had that block punt, which was the turning point uh, in the game. They only they allowed the uh, they allowed Buffalo to only score. Uh, they allowed Buffalo to score only one touch only one lousy touchdown in the game, which was an absolute plus. After you know at when it's been two straight seasons in twenty nineteen in Pittsburgh and then the last season in Buffalo when they got their doors blown off by that high flying high powering offense led by uh, Josh Allen and company, give the Steelers defense a ton of credit. They only allowed the they only allowed Buffalo to reach the end zone one time. They you uh, know uh they didn't run the ball a whole hell of a lot and they didn't let Stephon Diggs go crazy with with uh with uh, mediocre non-reception, 69-yard receiving performance, and kept Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders in check as well. So give the Steelers defense all the credit in the world. T.J. Watt was worth the contract extension. We all know how great of a player he is. Uh, So give the Steelers defense a ton of credit. You know, if you want to... Uh, if you want to shut up the giant shields of the world, uh, you know, and, and and all your doubters, and all the play, and all the people out there that think that the Steelers aren't going to be much, aren't going to be good this season, and or won't go far in the playoffs, or nowhere near a Super Bowl contender, which I still, uh, which I still believe that to be the case you 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 know a first imp- a first impression is a, gra- a is a is a great impression and what a better no no better first impression could have been made than sticking it to the Buffalo Bills and and stopping their high flying high powering offense in their tracks like they did on like they did uh on Sunday afternoon, and also, of course, give credit to Tomlin. Had the block pun on. the I mean, the, the defense and special teams won the game for the Steelers because the Steelers' offense again is is nothing is nothing to write home about, and is not good under any circumstances. Ben Roethlisberger is getting worse, not better, with every waking game and with every waking day. That that game fell on Buffalo imploding, and the Steelers' and the Steelers' defense and special teams coming to play. That's what won the game, and to, and Tomlin, who you know, and Tomlin outcoached McDermott in the game as well. Dermott, or excuse me, Tomlin, the defense and special teams won the game for Pittsburgh, not their offense, because the the offense still stinks. Oh, their 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 offense still stinks. They 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 only put they only put up two offensive touchdowns in the game, two. That's a if you take if you take away that block punt that was taken back for a touchdown, which again was the turning point in the game. They had they the the Steelers offense would have uh, the Steelers the Steelers offense scored one more touchdown than Buffalo's did. So their their offense is still still nothing. You know, the the this is not the 2017 2016 Steelers offense that I can tell you. That I can tell you. And it's not 2016, 2017, Big Ben Roethlisberger. No, neither. And can somebody explain? And somebody explain to me? Can somebody explain to me on a fourth and one with 13:48 to go in the fourth quarter with Buffalo up four inside Pittsburgh territory? Can somebody please explain to me what the hell that play call was? I mean you can I mean it, it, I mean with Brian Dayball, the offensive, of course can somebody please explain to McDermott Allen somebody what the heck the idea was it was like a, it was a fake quarterback sneak and then Josh Allen decided at the last second to throw a little quick screen pattern to his halfback waiting there in the backfield around the 40 around the 47 48 yard line can somebody explain to me what 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 was the point what was the purpose and what and what and what? how would they planned on executing that play when they drew it up and when they called that fourth and one you run I mean I've I've I mean I've been watching football a long time. I don't think ever I've ever in my life seen a fake quarterback sneak halfback screen pattern on a fourth and one inside inside their opponent's territory, inside their opponent's forty five yard line with up by a lousy four points where your offense has been inept all game long and there's there's essentially all of the fourth quarter left to play. I do not understand that play call whatsoever. I mean, Josh Allen pretends like he's going to sneak it, and then he gives it back to it, and then he, at the last second gives it back to his halfback, and he gets not, and he gets knocked on his belly at the at the uh, at the Pittsburgh forty-eight yard line. Made absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's game number one. Game number two is my Cincinnati Bengals escaping the uh, escaping the Minnesota Vikings in overtime, 27-24. The Bengals had a twenty had a twenty one fourteen lead heading into the fourth quarter and let that slip and let that go right down the drain. That's uh that's the Cincinnati Bengals for you. By the way, going back to Brady and Dak, uh they they both completed seventy four passes on Thursday night. That's the most completions in a single game in NFL history. But getting back but getting back to the getting back to the Bengals, Jamar Chase Listen, I was worried and I was concerned and nervous of all health for him, and the, and his god awful performance during the preseason. Had no issues dropping the football; did not have a single drop. Caught all seven passes thrown his way for a hundred or excuse me, seven. He didn't excuse me. He didn't catch all seven targets, but he caught five out of the seven targets. No drops. Hundred and one yard receiving performance and a touchdown at the end of the half uh, looks like, and th- th- Lord willing, the, uh, drop seeds will be a thing in the past for Jamar Chase. So he can, you know, be a vibrant part of this offense and we can, you know, start winning some football games and come 2022, 2023, we can, uh, make a playoff push and Joe Mixon and Joe Mixon had a, fin- what a I mean, he, I understand it's just one game, but he was the leading rusher, uh, in, in all of week one this past weekend, 29 carries, 127 yards rushing and a touchdown, uh, for Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow only had seven incompletions, twenty of twenty-seven, two sixty-one, two touchdown passes. Isn't going to light up the scoreboard. But the play of the game was that audible that he called on fourth and inches in the overtime period, where I don't know what he I don't know what he saw up there at the line. They have to you know get him on here and ask him. But he made a he made a last second audible decision where he finds C.J. Uzama open open up, uh, get, find open space and find separation down, uh, up the seam towards the left sideline and a nice, I believe it was like a 20-ish yard completion or so that set the Bengals up in, uh, in field goal range and a couple of plays later, here comes Evan McPherson to kick the game-winning field goal to get their Bengals their first week one victory since 2018 against Indianapolis on the road and I believe it was their first home victory uh, I believe that was their first home victory since I wanna say two thousand and fifteen. Let me see. Um, but it also gave the Bengals their first uh home home victory in week one in a long time. Jamar Chase first rookie in Bengal history to record a hundred receiving yard performance in their first game. Um. Anything else? Yep, First, first game, first uh, game that the Bengals have won in September since 2018, Week One, 2018, is when they uh, is when they beat the Indianapolis Colts. So good to see the Bengals back at least for the moment, for now, on their winning ways. Jamar Chase performed well, and the thing about the Cincinnati Bengals is you're going to have to take into account here going forward for the rest of the season is the fact that you know when when they run, when the Bengals are able to run the ball and able to use one of the best players in offense and Joe Mixon, who went healthy, is one of the best backs in all of football. When he's healthy and when he's running the football effectively, Bengals gonna win some games. And 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 if they and if they can't win games, which, which they sure you can guarantee this. If not win games, you can guarantee the Bengals gonna put up on average twenty eight points a game. If they can run the ball well keep the ball out of Burrow's hands as much as they possibly can unless they absolutely have to, work the clock, soak up the time of possession, you know, uh play play uh you know, play that field positioning type of football, the Bengals can score some points and can win some games just just based on their offensive loan. The issue that the Bengals had last season, and one of the reasons why Bro got hurt outside the fact their offensive line was beyond pathetic, was the fact that the ball was in Bro's hands thirty, forty, fifty times a game he's dropping back the pass because we couldn't run the ball worth a lick last season, and our only source of offense was putting the ball in our best players' hands, that in, that in Joe Burrow, and having him drop back 40 plus times a game, you know, to move the ball, to move the ball down, to move the ball down the field. Having him drop back the pass 30, 40, 50 times a game. And when you do that, it makes them more susceptible to, get, to getting hit and to get sacked and to get injured with with the with the turnstiles that we had as offensive linemen. Now they're mixing his back healthy and in full effect, and hopefully he can stay that way for, for throughout the entire season. The ball is in Bro's hands less, which means that in the, the ball's in his hands less. The less amount of times that he's going to have to drop back the pass, which translates into less amount of time. Or excuse me, the least likely of a chance that Burrow is going to get hit and is going to be susceptible to getting uh, to getting hit by the defense and getting sacked. Now he got sacked five times on Sunday, which again is a is a little bit of a red flag for me. And I understand that Riley Reef, you know, didn't allow pressure and the thirty three pla- pass blocking plays he had. He of course uh, replacing the uh, the inept uh, turnstile that is Bobby Hart at right tackle but still allowing bro to get sacked five times and when he in one of the sacks in the second half he came up a little gimpy that would scare me and that would and now it absolutely concern me especially especially considering that he, that he hasn't had that he you know that it hasn't been I don't think it's been the full nine months since uh since he uh since he tore his ACL MCL against against Washington back in November of 2020 but You keep the ball out of Burrow's hands, the chances of him getting hit and the chances of him, God forbid, getting hurt again go down if you can run the football. Not to mention your offense will be better for it and you'll have a much more of a well-rounded, three-dimensional, quote-unquote, two-dimensional offense Rather than having the ball in bro's hands forty fifty times a game, where everybody in America knows more times than not you're going to pass the ball, so we'll just stack the box send the heat, and we'll and next and we'll be out of here with bro getting hit a dozen times and racking up six seven sacks against him so for the Bengals offense to succeed, they got to be able to run the ball, and when they got and when they run the ball, they got to have great games run the ball too, mixing. Again, proof's in the pudding. Uh, Mixon only uh, had—Mixon rushed for to 127 yards, scored a touchdown. Burrow only dropped back the pass 27 times, had seven incompletions, and led a a game-winning drive in overtime. Not a surprise. Now the Bengals defense imploded and allowed the Vikings uh, too uh, many, too many of opportunities in that game for them to for them to create a comeback and for them to possibly win that game in the overtime period. That would be concerning to me, but all in all, decent game, decent performance from the Bengals in a game that and a game in a game that they that they should have won in four quarters, not five. Four quarters and not five. And I don't understand, you know, it was a puzzling play call when Zach Taylor decided to go for it on fourth down in the fourth quarter that he didn't get. That was absolutely mind-boggling, and I was all prepared to come over, to come on here and uh, and start up the Zach Taylor should be fired uh, chance again. But luckily for him, luckily for Zach Taylor, he lives to see another week at least, thanks to uh, Joe Burrow, CJ Uzama. And uh Evan McPherson. But the Bengals offense should put up plenty of points if all goes well. You know, and and they again they should have won that game in four quarters, not five, because the Vikings did not deserve to lose that game because they let Mixon run Rup shot all over them. Brawl was near immaculate. And and the Vik and the Ra- and the Vikings racked up a ton of penalties. They uh penalty wise they had you know Minnesota had twelve penalties in a game to the Bengals three, so Bengals deserved to win that game and should have won that game, and it shouldn't have took five quarters for them for them to do so the cardinals and the going to the Cardinals and the Titans now with as far as the Titans are concerned they they just did not they they didn't show up. I mean the the offense was inept. Tennessee held 21 to 35 two, passing for 212 and an interception, a touchdown. Derrick Henry was held in check. Longest run of the game for 19 yards, 17 carries, 58 yards on the ground. Didn't run for a touchdown. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones was not a factor in the receiving game. I mean the the Tennessee Titans just they didn't show up. Is, I mean, their their offense is stuck is stuck back in January in the uh, in the wild card playoff game against Baltimore. Just did not show up, and again their de- and their defense, boy oh boy, giving up thirty eight points to the Cardinals. Colin Murray, twenty one of thirty two, two hundred and eighty nine passing yards, four touchdown passes. And uh, and DeAndre Hopkins, Hopkins, excuse me, and Kirk uh, both caught two touchdown catches, and the card was nearly, you know, came came into their came out came into their building and dropped and almost dropped forty points. I mean, that 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 I mean, for 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 a Tennessee Titan team that I picked to win the division and is favored by many to win the division and and should start to make some headway in the AFC playoffs. First game of the season. I understand they got a dynamic offense and have the potential to put up a ton of points and have a, and have Pro Bowlers and, and All Pros on their team. I understand that Chandler Jones had a phenomenal game with five sacks to begin the season, and J.J. Watt is there to join him too. But th- but thirty eight to thirteen in your own, in your own building to begin the season is just downright embarrassing. The Tennessee Titans did not show up first game of the season under any circumstances. That is another game we cross off our list. Another game we can uh, we can dissect and break down is the New York Jets. If their fans another crappy performance to begin the season, uh, and was just absolutely pathetic, you know. Uh, it's, uh, Zach Wilson, 20 of 37, 258, two touchdown passes and an interception. Got sacked six times. Offense was not that great. Davis had five receptions, 97 yards, two touchdown catches. Uh, as far as, and in Carolina, of course, I and mean, you talk about the uh, how the turnable tables, Sam Darnold, the ex-Jet quarterback, comes in there first game in a, in a Carolina Panther uniform against his old team, 24 35, 279 passing yards to the touchdown, a touchdown, uh, and threw for a touchdown. Chris McCaffrey is back. Hopefully he can stay healthy because if he can, the Panthers, uh, the Panthers should put up plenty of points. As uh, the great Colin Russo informed me over the last couple of days, like, oh, the, the, the Panthers going to be better, uh, going to be better than uh, than a lot of people think. They got a good defense, McCaffrey's back, and Darnold in a new system should equal some wins. Not to mention the coach and Matt Rule is very good. Well, he had a hell of a performance: 21 carries, 98 yards on the ground, and he also was their leading receiver with uh, nine receptions and 89. Nine receiving yards out of the backfield. Uh, if you're New York Jets, it's it's just more of the same. I mean, can the New York Jets, you know, get out of their own way and put together a couple of decent seasons? I understand it's just the first game, but my God, I mean, you, you can't beat the Carolina Panthers on the road first game of the season. I mean, uh, it's uh, more, more of the same with the New York Jets, I swear. The more things change, the more the more things change, the more things change the same. Uh, a quick little uh comment i wanted to get i wanted to get off my chest as far as the jets are concerned, and then of course the chiefs and the, the chiefs and the browns the browns which had the lead. For the majority of that football game went into the ha- went into halftime with a twenty-two to with a twenty two to ten lead. And, you know, like the Ravens, their defense imploded in the second half as well. While their offense was stuck in neutral scoring one time, that was a touchdown in the fourth quarter, was absolutely silenced in the third quarter, getting outscored ten to zero. The Cleveland Browns losing to the Kansas City Chiefs thirty three twenty nine. And Baker Mayfield twenty one of twenty eight, three twenty one, had a had a good had a great game but you know the deciding factor and, and and the thing that's going to stick out like a sore thumb uh is the fact that when he had a chance and when the, and when the and when the Browns defense did a phenomenal job and did and did what the near impossible and that's getting the uh getting the Chiefs off the field forcing a three and out uh you know late in the fourth quarter with a chance to get the ball back and 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 allow Baker Mayfield to redeem himself and and for them to and for the browns to snatch back a game that for at least a half if not a half and a half and uh halfway through the third quarter uh rightfully belonged to them you know Baker mayfield gets the ball and and throws a bonehead ass night interception you know I understand he tried to avoid a sack, but you can't force the issue right there you gotta either throw the ball in the side you either gotta take the sack or throw or throw the ball up into you know up into the upper deck out of bounds you, you cannot you cannot force the issue. And you know, try to be Superman, try to be a hero, and force the ball to you know, and force the ball right directly into the into the Chiefs' defensive secondary right there. That 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 you can't happen. If Baker Mayfield wants to take that next step as being an elite quarterback that can that can uh, take the Browns over the top and get them to a Super Bowl, he's got to erase those mistakes. Because championship quarterbacks, you know, in that situation, they either take the sack. Or they, or they, they either take the sack, get rid of the ball sooner, or they, th- or they throw the ball towards the sideline. I mean, hell, taking a taking an uh, taking a uh, intentional grounding penalty would have been a better would have been a better uh, result than a than an interception with under a minute to go, which uh, which ended up costing Cleveland the game. And again, the defense imploded. Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes—they're never out of it. They're never out of, never out of the, outside of Super Bowl 55. They're never out of a game. They score. They outscored the Browns in the second half, 23-7, putting up 10 points in the third quarter, 13 points in the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes, 27-36, 337 yards passing, three touchdown, uh, three touchdown passes. Tyree Kill, 11 receptions, 197 yards receiving. Travis Kelsey had two big touchdown receptions for Kansas City in the game as well. I and mean, this is what Kansas City does. Their defense again average at best, and they miss Tyron and they miss Tyron Matthew a whole hell of a lot, and you know what their average. And I do mean average defense. But again, when you have Patrick Mahomes sitting there on the sideline, anything is possible. And they're never out of it with Super Bowl 55 again being the only outlier. They're never out of it, and lo and behold, put the ball you put the ball in Kansas City's hands with especially with great field position like they got with uh like they got when uh, when the Cleveland punter fumbled the snap, you know, a la, a la in the Pittsburgh uh Steeler game, the botch snap and the piss poor special teams on the part of uh Buffalo and Cleveland was a difference maker and and gave and can, and gave the Kansas City Chiefs offense great field position and 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 allowed them with the and essentially was the catalyst of their uh, of their comeback and of of their comeback and them uh, and them getting their offense uh, on track. So give Kansas City a good all the credit of uh, for now getting washing out the bad taste out of their mouth. That was uh, that was Super Bowl Fifty Five, and then of course. Uh, their defense playing well in the second half, only allowing Cleveland to one touchdown in the fourth quarter. And of course, the Packers and the Saints. The Saints the, Well, before I get to the Packers and the Saints, you know how about Joe Judge and the Giants going up against? The, I mean, again, it's the same. It's the same thing with the Jets going up against the Panthers. Week one, you're the you're the New York Giants. You have you've made the playoffs one time. Since uh, your 2011 championship, that was 10 years ago, you haven't won a ch- you haven't won a playoff game since Super Bowl f- uh, 46 against the Patriots, going on 10 years ago. You play in a competitive yet weak NFC East, and all you can and all you can. And I understand that the Broncos' defense is go- is is better this year, and and they're fu- and they're fully healthy, and they maybe maybe better than people think. But you cannot in any circumstances, and again, in the first game that you have with fans in the stands since 2019, lose 27-13 to Teddy Bridgewater and the Denver Broncos. You, just, you can't lie. And Joe Judge, you know, who had a lot to say, Mister, who thinks he's Bill Belichick, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr., uh, high, school, Mr. high School PE teacher slash former drill sergeant, making his team run laps and do up-downs and push-ups and burpees. And screaming and cussing at him like, you know, like a, like a JV coach to a bunch of 13-year-olds had a lot to say in his offense, lays a complete big fat egg against the Denver Broncos' first game of the season. And enough for Daniel Jones, okay? They're going to have to do something at quarterback because Daniel Jones is not the answer. 2019 led the NFL in fumbles. 2020 led the NFL in fumbles again. Sunday, he became the second player ever to lose 30 career to lose his 30th career fumble by career game number 28. I mean, what, what are we doing? What do we do? Daniel Jones is not the answer. He's, he the, the 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 New York Giants have to make a change at quarterback because he stinks enough for Dan, enough for Daniel Jones. And, and I tell you something right now: if the Giants do not take care of business Thursday night against washing against Washington on the road, you can forget it. This that that you they, that you can forget it. They're not winning the division. They're not making the playoffs, and you can and you can and you can uh, kick Daniel Jones off the roster and send him someplace else and give him his unemployment papers. You know, early, early, you know, while you can? Because it's ridiculous. I mean, all all I hear is that Joe Judge, hell of a coach. You know, the team plays hard for him, this, that, and the other. He's a Bill Belichick, Nick Saban disciple, and his team gets their rear ends kicked and lose by 14 points by a team, no disrespect to him, but by a team quarterback by by Teddy Bridgewater. I mean that that is absolutely pathetic. When he when you know when he you know when he thinks he's Mr. Drill Sergeant you know at World War Two prior to uh, you know prior to uh, you know Battle of the Bulge making his team run laps and do up downs and cussing and spitting in his face all throughout training camp, and yet they lay an egg week one like that. I mean go go sell it to somebody else, Joe Judge. Will you please? Because I'm, I'm not buying your dog and pony show and your quarterback stinks. Speaking of stinks... So did the Green Bay Packers on Sunday. Their offense was absolutely atrocious. Aaron Rodgers, 15 of 28, 133 yards passing, two enters two interceptions in the game. AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, not a factor running the football. Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Valdez Scantling, all non factors and in- all non-factors in the game. And how about Jameis Winston, huh? What talk about a redemption story? 14 of 20, only six incompletions in the game. Didn't, uh, you know, didn't throw for 500 yards a la, you know, Prescott or throw for almost 400 a la Brady on Thursday night. But still, five touchdown passes, five touchdown passes. And, uh, you know, and did a phenomenal job he he had behind center in his first game as starting quarterback in the National Football League since week seven of 2019 in a uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. So, I, I, you know, I do not, th- well, I think the Saints will go eight and nine. I think they'll make the, play. they'll be competitive, you know, because Alvin Kamara is still a hell of a running back and they still got a solid defense. But you know, Jameis and I, and I, you can now I understand it's one game, and you can make the argument that you know twenty twenty one Jameis Winston may be better than twenty than uh, you know than twenty twenty Drew Brees. That still remains to be seen. And in my opinion, that's that's a major overreaction after the first game of the season. It's not like that the Green Bay Packer defense is not, is, not, is you know this is not the Green Bay Packer defense in the early sixties with Lombardi. But I get the idea throwing for five touchdowns again. Against the uh, against the NFC runner up is still nothing to sneeze at, especially with all of the adversity and all of the trials and tribulations and the hoops that the Saints have had to jump through and go through, you know, since the last, you know, essentially since uh, since the beginning of the month with uh, with uh, with Hurricane Ida wrecking havoc in their home city. Of uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, but the Saints' defense was absolutely phenomenal. Kept the Packers in check. Aaron Rodgers, uh, was, you know, was had a pathetic, absolutely pathetic, putrid football game on Sunday afternoon. And the New York Saints are now sitting sitting pretty at one and zero, tied at, tied for first place along with the uh, along with the Panthers and the uh, Super Bowl champion Bucks in the NFC in the NFC South. And then of course you go to the uh, to the Bears and the, and the Rams. First of all before I get to the Rams, okay, this sh- somebody should have went to the FCC and filed a complaint. I said it once, I said it when the schedule came out in April and I'll say it again. If I got to see the Chicago Bears on national television, one more freaking time, I'ma lose it, okay? Nobody wants to watch the Chicago Bears, let alone Andy Dalton, stink up the joint and you know, on national television and, and on a stand on a standalone football game. Nobody wants to see it. Andy Dalton stinks. He's allergic to winning Sunday Night Football games. The coach is an absolute stooge that has no idea what the heck he's doing. They stink. They're pathetic. Nobody wants to watch the Chicago Bears play on national television any freaking more while Andy Dalton is still quarterback and while Matt Nagy is still the head coach of that godforsaken football team. I'm done. I don't want to see the Bears after the season. I don't want to see the Bears on national television. No. No, no freaking more NFL. I, if thir- a Thursday night game, fine. But get them off of my television at eight twenty, eight fifteen on Sunday and Monday nights. I've seen it, and I've seen enough, and I've had enough. I, I plays. if I got if I got to see the Bears especially if I got to see Bears and Rams one more time I'ma have a conniption and I myself might march up the Park Avenue and have some words with Roger Goodell. Enough of the Bears and the Rams on prime time. The games bore the games bore me to tears and the Bears are not a factor and their offense stinks and vomits all over themselves. Every single freaking time they play the Rams, whether it be on Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, at SoFi, at the LA Coliseum, or Soldier Field. I've seen and had enough. Get the Bears off of my TV. Enough. And get them off Sunday Night Football and and stop giving us Bears and Rams every single freaking year on either Sunday night or Monday night football because the matchup stinks and the game is, and the games between those two teams are always a crock of garbage. Always. I mean, it's it's not, it's not a surprise. It is literally not a surprise. Not a surprise, and I'll break down the game in a minute. It is not a surprise why the Sunday night game was th- ratings-wise was down 7% from last year and only racked up 17 million people watching it. Because people are sick of the garbage. People are sick of watching Andy Dalton play like absolute crap on Sunday night football and forget how to and forget how to win football games in prime time in front of the big lights. People are done. Nobody wants to watch Bears and Rams on Monday or Sunday Night Football for the 19th million time in a row. Get them off my TV. Should have filed a complaint to the SEC, to the FCC, to get them off off the frickin' airwaves. And another thing, before before we throw bouquets and crown Matthew Stafford MVP and pencil in the Rams for Super Bowl fifty-five, can we take a chill pill and take it easy, please? Did he play well with you know with only six incomplete passes, three hundred and twenty-one passing yards and three touchdowns? Was he promising and did he show signs of promise? And potential to all you Rams fans out there and to his team, to the organization? Absolutely. Did he play well? Absolutely, yes, he did. Was it refreshing not seeing him in, in, in the Detroit Lions uniform? You, you're damn right it was. But still, before we give Matthew Stafford the MVP and pencil in the Rams for Super Bowl 56, can we take it down a notch and have a little bit of objectivity and a little bit of perspective and and say to ourselves, this Bears defense is nowhere near it is not a is not a pimple on the backside of the '85 Bears. Not a pimple. This is not the '85 Bears with Steve McMichael, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent, Singletary with Gary Fensick back there at, back there at safety with Buddy Ryan running the 46 defense. Okay, this is this is not the '85 Bears. So let's be fair. And don't sit up here and tell me, what I got Khalil Mack on the team. Khalil Mack did absolutely nothing in the game on Sunday night. He was not a factor. Don't sit up here and give me Khalil Mack. Because you would take every single player on that 85 Bears defense over Khalil Mack in a heartbeat. So cut the crap. That's the first thing. Another thing. You know, it is the Chicago Bears. Okay? They stink. They got Andy Dalton, who is allergic to winning to winning Sunday night football games, let alone on the road. Matt Nagy is an absolute stooge who doesn't who doesn't know his who doesn't know his own crap from chocolate moose, who stinks. And their de- and their defense is is and their defense has fallen off the deep end and might be one of, and might be one of the worst in the game. And oh by the way, the Bears' offensive line is, is essentially a bunch of uh, is a bunch of turnstiles. Factor in the fact that Matthew Stafford did nothing but play the Bears twice every season for for the last decade decade plus in a Detroit Lions uniform. He's supposed to on, on a on a better team with a better roster and a better coach. He's supposed to beat the living crap out of the Chicago Bears on Sunday Night Football and his and his Rams and his Rams debut in front of a packed SoFi Stadium. He's supposed to do that. So we're so we're so we're going to throw bouquets and, and 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 worship the ground Matthew Stafford walks on because he did his job against a hapless Chicago Bears team, really. Who again? Bears they have a stooge, an absolute joke of a head coach. Their GM Ryan Pace stinks. Doesn't ha- doesn't doesn't ha- doesn't have a- doesn't have a clue in the world how he's still employed. I have no idea. Their offensive line is a bunch of turnstiles. And again, they have Andy Dalton as their starting quarterback. And they cannot manage the situation with, with Fields and Andy Dalton. Why we still have to see Andy Dalton play starting quarterback in National Football League in 2021, I will never in a million years understand. And again, Andy Dalton, their starting quarterback, aforementioned, Playing for the Chicago Bears on Monday on Sunday night, who cannot win a Sunday night football game, let alone on the road, if the fate of the universe depended on it. The Bears stink. He's supposed to beat the Bears. Did he play well? Yes. But that doesn't mean we should hand them the MVP trophy and pencil in the Rams for the Super Bowl because of such. If they didn't beat the crap out of the Bears on Sunday night, we'd have bigger issues. The litmus test for Matthew Stafford as a ram in his first season with the team is not beaten is not beaten the two thousand and twenty one Chicago Bears at home in early September. The litmus test for him and the Rams is what are they going to do in November in December against divisional opponents when they got to go when they got to go fly out of the sunny. Warm Los Greater Los Angeles area. They go play to go play a road game that has playoff implications behind it. What is he going to do in those games? What is he going to do if if they're so fortunate to make the playoffs? Well he has to go on the road and play Brady and play Rodgers, Russell Wilson, play uh, Kyler Murray, play Super Bowl quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. They play the Ravens. They play the Ravens on the road week 17. What is, how is he going to play going up against that Ravens defense? I understand that imploded on a Monday night, but up against the Ravens defense on the road, which won't be easy, when it will be cold on the second day of January of the new year against MVP Lamar Jackson. That will be the litmus test, and there is what, is what we will see what Matthew Stafford and the Rams are made of. That's going to be their true test, not Week One, early mid September at home against the hapless, disgusting, embarrassing, putrid Chicago Bears. What they do on the back end of their season, and if they're fortunate to make the playoffs, how they will, how they play in the playoffs will be what's most important, and 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 where we'll see. And where we'll see how this team stacks up against against the latter NFC competition. Not beating the Bears. I'm sorry. Let's take it easy. Put things in proper perspective. The Bears stink. You go on the road. You beat the Ravens. You take care of business against Seattle, San Francisco, Green Bay at the uh, after your bye week on November 28th. Ah! Now you'll show me something Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Until then, you're not changing my mind beating the Chicago Bears at home. I'm sorry. Who who who, you know, whose whose coach, uh, whose coach is absolutely pathetic and again, Andy Dalton cannot with the fate of the world on the line when a Sunday night football game to save his fricking life. If the fate of humanity came came between came down to Andy Dalton winning a Sunday Night Football game, we'd we'd all be dead. Tell your parents you love them, because we all because we all be we ought to be, we'd, we'd all be dead as a deer on the side of a country road somewhere. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amateur Podcast. wishing gears now to Major League Baseball as we give them some time and attention throughout the hustle and bustle, bustle and commotion of the new baseball season. Um, and that is, let first off, I'm gonna get something off my chest. As far as my Baltimore Orioles are concerned, okay, Brandon Hyde, the manager for this hapless, disgusting, waste of time football teams. Uh, it, I mean. It, he needs to go. Simply put, he needs to go and I've had enough of him and it's just enough. Okay, I don't know if you guys heard this or saw or saw this on uh this uh last Friday, but this man had the Hutzpah and had the gall and the cojones to go ahead and pick a fight with Robbie Ray of the Toronto Blue Jays on Friday night. Suspecting that Robbie Ray was looking into the Orioles dugout because he thought the Orioles was stealing. stuff. So, I mean, I mean, and the and the place and the place is damn near empty. So you could literally hear every word, every f bomb, every cuss word that was coming out of Brandon Hyde's mouth. I mean, how, I mean, come on, Brandon, how old are you? I mean, you're you're the manager of the team. You're the lead. You're the de facto leader of the team. You set the tone. You set the example. Okay, the team feeds off of you and how you act and your decorum and how you behave. Dave. Okay you you are the poster boy of this disgusting god awful 2021 team you can't have a little bit more you can't be a little bit more self respecting and can't be a little bit and show I'm not saying sportsmanship, but you can't, you know, have a little bit more dignity and, 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 and carry and handle yourself a little bit better than that, and sit up here and try to pick a fight and get into a stupid asinine pissing match with with a with a player on a Toronto Blue Jays that's up, that's out there on the mound trying to do his job. I mean really. I mean you, you, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And this is a guy that, that allowed that allowed his team to have not one but two double digit losing streaks throughout the course of a season they're going to lose well over 100 games they're sitting right in the, they got 98 wins to, they got 98 wins as of Wednesday night by the by the time we get to the weekend they'll have they'll have a hundred wins because the Yankees are in town and the Yankees have found a way to get themselves back together again so it's just i, 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 can't, I can't take I can't take this team and I can't take Brandon Hyde and the moments that he needed to have a little bit of fight in him and I'm also that he needed to get a little nasty with the language and get a little you know in somebody's grits when the team was losing games left and right when the bullpen was imploding was imploding in front of our very eyes and blowing games left and right and 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 the off and the offense couldn't show up. They couldn't hit with runners to score in scoring position, and when the starting pitchers couldn't make it past five innings of 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 unscathed of unscathed the uh, uh, starting pitching, and throughout the course of a baseball game, he did he did he didn't say nothing, but yet when he suspects suspects that Robbie Ray and the Toronto Blue Jays. Maybe stealing signs from at the time the 90, what, the 94, 95, 96 ish losing Orioles. Now, all of a sudden he gets his panties in a twist, and he starts catching an attitude and wants to decide to become to, to be to become uh you know to become uh John Wayne and wants to sit up here and stick up for his ball club and show some fight and show some fervor and show some angerness to show some anger and some bitterness, really. I mean, that that, that is tough. And I know all the other Orioles fans on Twitter were defending him. That's utter nonsense. Brandon Hyde, do better. Okay, set the example, set the tone. Okay, defending and sticking up for your team is one thing. But looking like a complete jackrabbit, embarrassing your team, embarrassing yourself, and looking like a total heel picking a fight with with the opposing pitcher, I'm not going to stand for that. Especially when you, especially when your team has been absolutely atrocious for the last what three seasons that you've been the manager of this team, you're on pace for, to losing well over a hundred games this season. Shut up and win some games, and quit being so preoccupied about what Robbie Ray or anyone in, in the Toronto Blue Jays dugout is doing. You're on plate. You're on pace to lose yet a have a yet to have yet another. Hundred plus loss season. In which you've had not one but two double digit losing streaks. You're beyond bad, you're beyond pathetic. You're one of the worst managers I have ever seen in Major League Baseball history in my lifetime. Your team stinks, your team is a laughing stock. You cannot draw flies at Oil Park and Cannon Yards now. You can't draw flies. The place is so freaking quiet you can hear a rat urinate on cotton inside that place. You stink. Worry about winning games. worrying about how to manage a bullpen. Worry about putting out and producing a solid product, intriguing and entertaining product on the field instead of worrying about what Robbie Ray is saying or thinking or worrying about. Do better. Worry about your job before you start worrying and, 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 and quibbling about his. Enough. I can't. I. 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 I can't take this guy anymore. Can't take it. He's done nothing with this team, and he's going to sit up here and start picking fights with opposing players. Your defense stinks. If I had a nickel for every for every for every uh horrendous baseball decision, that baseball play that that this team has done all season, I'd be rolling in money. You're pathetic. Stop. Your team's undisciplined. They don't hustle. Lack of effort. You stink. Worrying about your own team and worrying about the future of you being the manager of this baseball team. Instead of worrying about Robbie Ray. Because Robbie Ray may be may may, may be pitching in meaningful games this October. You will not. You'll be you'll be on your bald fat caucus. Wherever you live, whether Baltimore, Chicago, uh, Walla Walla, Washington, I could care less. You won't be anywhere near competing for a World Series championship in about two, three weeks' time. Robbie Ray might. You won't. You won't. I'm telling. Ta- I'm telling ta- you. If it was up to me, he'd be out of here so fast it would it would make your head spin was my team he'd be fired at the end of the season fired he's lucky I ain't his boss because not only would he would have been gone what would he would have been gone back back in june if it was me not only would he would have been gone then but he would have gotten a not a stern but a harsh harsh Lecture and talking to by me in my office after the game on Friday night. You don't act that way, especially when you don't when you don't have you know the records and the awards and the and the uh, and the level of six su- and a high level of success to back it up. You're Brandon freaking Hyde. And nobody cares about you being on Joe Man's coaching staff for the 2016 Cubs. And no, 75 uh, percent of baseball fans don't kn- don't know that firsthand, and nobody in Baltimore gives a crap. That's item number one. Item number two. Uh, as we switch over to some baseball teams that actually care about producing a good qual- uh, good quality product on the field. Uh, we get to the New York Yankees, um, who are sitting now at 81-64. They had a tremendous, they had a horrendous losing streak. To you know, to close out the month of August and into and into uh, start the month of September, they've they've lost seven out of their last seven out of the last three. They're coming off of a road trip uh the Subway Series in which in which again their bullpen imploded and allowed uh, Francisco Lindor to ha- have a three homer game against the Yankees on Sun on Sunday night up in Queens. Uh, and the Yankees right now are uh, eight and a half back of Tampa for the the uh, for the division lead in the American League East, and right now hold the sec- have are tied with the Red Sox for the second wild card spot. In the American League, and only a half game back of the top wild card spot of their division rival Toronto Blue Jays in the American League. Speaking of the Blue Jays, they've won eight out of their last ten. They can do no wrong. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. may end up winning American League MVP. Forget Shohei Ohtani, who plays on a team that stinks, and he's now and his average has now dipped into the 250-260 range. Vlad Jr. may win may win the AL tri- may win the triple crown for the American League and should win American League MVP if the Blue Jays somehow uh, find a way to hold on throughout the last what two weeks or so left in the season. They're at 82 and 64, again a half game advantage over the Yankees for the fifth spot in the American League postseason picture, and they are eight games back currently sitting in second place behind the Tampa Bay Rays in the American League East. Boston has imploded, and you'd get the feeling that Boston might have peaked too early in the season. They're 82 and 65, eight and a half back of Tampa. Uh, uh, then they like I said, they're tied with the Yankees for the second wild card spot in the American League, with Seattle and Oakland, a, uh, a mere five or excuse me, a mere three and three and a half games back, chasing them in the wild in a wild card picture in the American League. And the Red Sox have lost six out of the last ten. And they have not played solid baseball under any circumstances, essentially since the All-Star break. We keep an eye on them. Keep an eye on, of course. Uh, keep an eye on as we go to the National League. Atlanta's in first place at 60 at 76 and 67 by four and a half games as of this time. They have split five and five in their last ten. Philadelphia's won seven out of their last ten games as they're sitting in second place at 72 and 72 and are three and a half back in the second wildcard spot. San Diego, you you know, you say all the time, be careful. And Mad Dog Russo, who he has. On at the beginning of the season, back in late March, early April, said, "Be careful of the trendy teams, a la us the Padres and the White Sox." Well, the White Sox are running away with the AL Central with a 12 and a half game advantage over Cleveland at 83 and 61. While the San Diego Padres, after all the money they've spent. Off-season have been an absolute, complete disappointment and borderline embarrassment, as they're a, only a game. Grant, they're only a game behind St. Louis for the second wild-card spot in the National League, but they got to worry about Philadelphia, who's on their tail, and Cincinnati and St. Louis, who's in front of them. And as far as the division is concerned, the Padres are sitting in third place, only four games above five hundred at 70 and 74 and 70. 20 and a half games out of the San Francisco Giants for first place in the uh, in the National League West. The Giants, of course, as a hell of a segue on to them, by the way, the Padres have lost seven out of the last center, on, are riding a five-game uh, losing streak, and they've been pathetic on the road, 30 and 39, compared to 44 and 31 at Petco. But getting back to the San Francisco Giants, who clinched a playoff berth earlier this week, along with the Dodgers, we'll get to them in a minute, San Francisco Giants best record in all of baseball at 95 and 50. Uh they've won 9 games in a row, 9 out of the last 10 of course. I'm um, clinching a playoff berth for the first time since 2000 and the first I believe since twenty sixteen, the last time that they clinched the playoff berth. Let me make let me look that up just to be sure. But the Giants, of course, have had a phenomenal season. They've pitched well, who in America would have thought and they were predicted to win to win to uh, their win total at the beginning of the season was supposed to be, you know, in the mid it was supposed to be in the mid seventies to begin the season. And now all of a sudden, yes, the first time since twenty sixteen the Giants have clinched the playoff spot. Just wanted to just make sure just to be accurate. Um, but how about the Giants? You know Kevin Gosman, Anthony Discofani, Johnny Cueto. Who would have thought of that pitching st- staff, along with the veterans and Brandon Belt, Posey and Brandon Crawford, three of those all three of those guys were, uh, were were again, were the core of their championship teams back in the early two thousand tens. Who would have thought that those guys, along with the uh, with the journeymen that's come that's come into the fold and and guys that's been there that's been in the league a while, Allah Discofani and Gosman, formerly of my Baltimore Orioles and the Atlanta Braves, who would have thought that this team would have would have, you know, would have came together along with Gabe Kapler, who was rightfully so Ran out of town for the underachieving job he did with the Phillies. And and they're sitting here on September 15th with still two weeks and change to go left in the season. Be five wins away from winning 100 games. And and clinching the number one seed in the National League and being a, and and heading into the postseason this upcoming October as a World Series favorite. Who 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 in America outside of the I don't even think many Giants fans saw this coming. Who would have thought that the San Francisco Giants would be one of the best teams in baseball? with with the phenomenal season that they've had up until this point. I mean, just an absolutely phenomenal job by him. All the credit goes to GM Farhan Zaidi for constructing this roster. And all the credit, again, goes to Gabe Kapler, who has absolutely redeemed himself as a manager at the Major League level after the subpar average disappointing job he did for the Phillies back back a few seasons ago. That is, uh, you know, that's National League West team number two. And, of course, the Dodgers, who... Who, by their own admission, have not been playing as great a baseball as they should and as they have up to team standards, but they're still they uh, the division is not out of question, only a two and a half game uh advantage San Francisco has over the over the Dodgers for the national league west uh and if they catch San Francisco to win a the division they're they're going to they're going to get best team in the national league to go along with it, and they're going to have to avoid playing that uh that National League wild card uh, playoff game but they're sitting at 93-53 at, at this time 40 games above 500 uh 2 wins away from catching the Dodgers at 95 wins they've won 5 games in a row 7 out of their last 10 and uh and are certainly not going to go down without a fight as far as defending their uh 2020 World Series championship uh, title, and so we give the Dodgers you know that again to their own admission they haven't necessarily hit their stride yet, but they 've still been playing uh top quality top notch baseball uh overall in this season in the National League West and in the national League. That and uh, what did I get to the Mets? Mets seventy-two, seventy-four. Two games, two games uh, under five hundred as of this moment. They've lost six out of the last ten. They've dropped two in a row. Five and a half games back above, uh, behind Atlanta. The New York Mets are finished. That's your baseball. We will preview week two of the National Football League to close out the program. The Amatelica is podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelica IS podcast, Switching gears back to the National Football League, um, to the uh, week as far as week two is concerned. Let's get into it. Uh you know how I like to do it pick a, pick a few games from week 2 to talk about preview and then of course give you my uh, week 2 picks against the spread. And game number 1 that I'm intrigued about as far as week 2 is concerned is the Bills versus the Dolphins. Again, the Bills like I the Bills like I brought up uh like I brought up in the opening, not the opening monologue but the second segment of the show. Uh their offense was non existent, only scored one touchdown in the game uh, one that their defense was bad, but their special teams and offense was, you know, much to be desired from their performance uh, on Sunday against Pittsburgh. They go on the road to face their first divisional opponent of the season, and that is the uh, Miami Dolphins, who coming out coming off of a gritty, grinded out type of old school football game against the Patriots on the road, seventeen sixteen on Sunday uh, afternoon up in Foxborough uh you know their their def- we all know that, again i said it before and i'll say it again the Dolphins are going to get to the playoffs because Brian Flores is their head coach and they have a hell of a defense. And it looks like, and I understand it's only one game, don't want to overreact. But Tua also was, was played very, 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 not very fine. He, he was he was fine. He was good against you know didn't didn't blow you away, but didn't but didn't uh, put the Dolphins in the position to necessarily lose the lose the game either. But uh, again, the Dolphins had for not did had a, excuse me. Did a phenomenal job beating the Patriots week one. They didn't let Mac Jones go crazy, let Mac Jones go nuts. They forced a the turnover. That was the uh, that was the uh, focal point in the game in the second half against the Patriots. So this is a uh, this is a football game I'm gonna keep my eye on in the one o'clock window come Sunday afternoon. Can the Bills get off the schneid? Can their offense? And again, not going to be easy. Going to be against two good defenses. Pittsburgh last week and the Dolphins on the road in the in the blazing heat and sunshine of. Uh, of uh, good old south My, of good old Miami Florida on the road first divisional uh game of the season second week uh the second sunday in it's not going to be it's not going to be easy and again hell of a defense that the dolphins have and you know they're going to you know be as best prepared because Brian Flores is a hell of a coach and, and uh, he's going to put their put his team in the best position to win so can the bills uh, get get off the Schneid as far as their offense is concerned, and can they put up you know fourteen, seventeen, twenty one, fourteen or excuse me, fourteen, seventeen, twenty one, twenty four points, and have their defense essentially make Tua's life a living hell on the defensive side of the football? And uh, will Sean McD and the question resides in whether or the question presides in whether or not Sean McDermott will get out coached by a uh, Brian Flores in the game again. I still have no idea what the heck his mindset was early fourth quarter running that fake QB sneak halfback option at the Steelers 45-yard line when they're up 4 with, with essentially all of the fourth quarter still yet to be played. That 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 it still makes no sense to me. Yeah, Bills versus Dolphins should be an intriguing game, uh low scoring I anticipate. That's game number 1. Game number 2 is between the Rams and the Colts. Rams like I said, phenomenal job defense. All around, essentially, defensively and offensively, they played absolutely marvelous against the against the hapless Bears on Sunday night. Go, they're going up against the Indianapolis Colts, who you know whose defense wasn't great. Uh, I tell you that much against Russell Wilson and the Seattle and the Seattle Seahawks. Their offense, uh, you know, their offense was not that impressive last week against the Seahawks I can give you uh the stats for the game here in a minute uh Seattle uh, by the way Seattle 12 and 1 in their last um in the last 13 games starting at 10 a.m. local time, 10 a.m. out west, 1 o'clock here in the east. Their offense, and again, aside like that the Seattle Seahawks defense is uh, the is, uh, the Legion of Boom from their uh, Super Bowl seasons in 2013 and 2014. Colts put up 16 points, once 25 of 38, 251, two touchdowns was okay, not good enough. Jonathan Taylor, they needed to have a, a stronger running attack with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines out the backfield. And they and the Seahawks defense kept Zach Pascal, uh, Jack Doyle and company uh, in check for the ga- uh, for the game on Sunday afternoon. The Colts got to put up points against that Rams defense, which you know was going to be swarming with swarming with Aaron Donald applying the pressure up front. Jalen Ramsey re- leading the crew uh, in the second in the secondary, at the secondary for Los Angeles. Matthew Stafford. Interesting to see what he does against the Colts uh against the Colts defense and and uh, and dealing with them should be a very intriguing game between the Rams uh and Indianapolis on Sunday you know will 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 uh, Matthew Stafford have his way with the Colts defense and and let it rip and let it fly and 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 blow up the stat sheet and will the Rams defense in turn get after uh get after Carson Wentz like they did uh Andy Dalton remains to be seen on Sunday. Third game, speaking of Seahawks, is the Titans and the Seahawks. Uh, for the Seahawks home for the Seahawks home opener at 4:25 on CBS. Titans, like I said, second segment of the, of the uh, program. Titans just, just did not show up. I mean, their off, their offense was pathetic, and their defense was. But it, it was again, it was like that they, that that the team was stuck. Whether they missed Arthur Smith, whatever the case might might have been, it, it appeared to me like they were still stuck. Back in January in their playoff game against Baltimore, their offense was their offense was bad, their defense was even worse and if, and they going and their defense is going to have to step up big time, and I do mean big time because the, because the Seahawks with Russell Wilson and Company, especially first two months of the season, they are not great, but they are deadly offensively with the as far, you know, when it comes to the Seahawks offense, especially in the month of September, they are deadly they can they 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 will beat you up and cut you up defensively so fast and so quick in a period and a period of a sequence in a game you won't you won't know what hit you so if the titans don't want to you know have the sky falling on them early to begin the new season if they want to and if they want to, uh, you know, tell the fan base to tell everybody else to essentially calm down, we still got this. We can still win the division. We can still be up there as one of the best teams in the AFC. When they, when it's all said and done, beat the Seahawks on the road. I understand it won't be easy. You know, Seahawks. You know, Seahawks will have fan, will play their first. Uh, you know, will play their first home game in front of fans since uh week since week seven since that week seventeen Sunday night game against the uh forty Nineers in 20, in twenty uh twenty nineteen. And I understand that Seahawks offense is is a high flying, high powering, high scoring offense, especially the first uh month and a half, two months of the season. But if you don't want, but if you want to save your season and prevent your season from going up in smoke, go on the road and beat the Seahawks. Force Russell Wilson, you know, get after Russell Wilson, make him sweat a little bit, make make life a living hell for him. Force a couple of interceptions. Force him to run the ball with Chris Carson and any and you and you should be well on your way. Cowboys and the Chargers is another game. Cowboys coming off of their tremendous offensive performance against the Bucks uh last Thursday night going up against the Chargers who played well. Uh not great but played de- but played well like, up against good defense. In Chase Young and company for the wash for uh the Washington Redskins on uh Sunday afternoon. Uh again, Herbert's going to be the real deal. Uh, he should have he should have an absolute field day. I understand again that the Cowboys defense made some plays and turned over the football a couple of times against the champs, but still their defense still has a lot of room of has a lot of room for improvement. Herbert should put up play. Expect another shootout for this game. That's all I can tell you. And then the Cowboys offense looks like it should be uh, back to where it should be, outside of the fact that Zeke Elliott is an absolute liability as a running back on this football team. That is game number four. Game number five, of course, and you can make the argument, could be the game of the weekend going in is between the Chiefs and the Ravens. Chiefs, of course, coming off of their grinded out, come from behind victory over Cleveland last Sunday afternoon. And then, of course, you have the Baltimore Ravens coming off of a tough Coming off of a tough, uh, heartbreaking, uh, frustrating loss in overtime against the Chiefs division rival uh, Vegas on Monday night a few days ago, you know, again, like I said, like I said in the opening monologue, if the Raven, if the Ravens defense essentially is going to pull the same crap they did with the all-out blitzes and the cover zeros and essentially having one safety back deep, then it will be a long night for the Baltimore Ravens and their defense come Sunday night down at the bank, uh come eight 15 come eight fifteen on Sunday. If they if their defense plays well and they essentially copy for what copy what the uh Browns did in the first half of their game on Sunday and the Ravens offense shows up and takes advantage of uh and takes advantage of the Chiefs mediocre defense then you know, you should have yourself uh then you should have yourself in a, a decent entertaining football game all in all but if they get but if you give the Chiefs an inch they're going to take a mile and the Chiefs and the Ravens defense cannot afford to give up any more any more than 28 points at the most if they want a chance to win this game you give up more than 28 you're finished you're finished and you know, part of me thought that last year when these two teams played week three on Monday night, part of me thought that uh that, that the game wouldn't have been as much of a bloodbath as it was if the Ravens had fans in the stands because typically the because typically the Ravens at home on you know at home on prime time are pretty tough to beat. We'll see if that'll be the case on Sunday. Will be fans in the stadium for the Ravens on sunday night sunday night football in front of the entire country remains to, it remains to be seen uh how the ravens do in a game that the ravens and lamar jackson have to play well and not just not necess- not not just to prevent starting the season 0 two and you know and prevent the uh, skies falling sequence to begin the season but also to prove to everybody that when the rubber meets the road and, and if the season gets a little tough and down to the nitty-gritty at the back end of the season, if they end up making the playoffs and having to go into uh, Kansas City to play Kansas City, this is a game that they would want to win to fall back on and say, hey, we beat Kansas City. I understand it was in our building, but we beat Kansas City uh, earlier in the season. So those are the five games that I'm keeping that I'm keeping my eyes on as far as week one. As far, excuse me, as far as week two in the National Football League is concerned, where we where we end this program is like we do it every single week throughout the football season. It is now week two picks in the league where they play. For pay. Game number one between, which is on Thursday Night Football, is the Thursday Night Football game of the week, between the New York Giants and Washington. Giants, of course, hapless performance beyond pathetic and embarrassing uh, job in their loss on Sunday against the Denver Broncos. Head into Washington to play their first divisional game of the season. Washington tough loss last time out against the Los Angeles Chargers. Washington favored minus three and a half. Give me Washington. They win their first game of the season by the final score of twenty-four to seven. Then it's my Cincinnati Bengals going into Chicago to play the Chicago Bears. Bears, of course, beyond pathetic in their Sunday night football loss against the Rams week one. Bengals took their business against the Bears division rival Vikings in overtime in week one to, to get their first win of the season. Andy Dalton plays the Bengals for the second time. Who, I mean, when can you find an example of a player that spent about a decade with the franchise, leaves the franchise, First year away from that said franchise, he plays them on the road, and then the next season he plays his ex franchise for a decade for for ten plus years. yet again, in back to back seasons, Andy Dalton will play the Cincinnati Bengals in back to back years. Bears favorite mind is two and a half. I just don't see it with the Bears maned up offensive line, and I just said I like the Bengals offense a whole hell of a lot more than I like the Bears offense. Give me my Bengals to win the game by the final score of 27-17. to 17. And Then, of course, it's game number two between the Houston uh, Texans and the Cleveland Browns. Browns lost the tough uh, heartbreaker to the Chiefs week one on the road. It's their home opener going up against the Texans, who shocked the world. Uh, it at least shocked me in my estimation by taking care of business against the Jacksonville Jaguars and giving a uh, Trevor Lawrence his first regular season loss since high school, or since, not even high school, but in quite a long, quite a long time. Uh, as far as the number one pick out of Clemson is concerned, the Browns are favorite minus twelve and a half. Give me the Browns to get back on the winning track and win this ball game by the final score of thirty-five to 14. The Los Angeles Rams going up against the Indianapolis Colts. Rams favorite minus three and a half coming off of their Sunday night football victory against the Bears on Sunday. Give me, and they're going up against the Indianapolis Colts who, like I already mentioned earlier in the segment, uh, lost to the Rams division rival Seahawks in week one as well. Give me the Rams favorite minus three and a half. Give me the Rams win the game by the final score of twenty-eight to twenty-four. Buffalo going up against the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo, of course, uh coming off of their loss, uh, blowing a 10 blowing a 10-0 lead against the Steelers. Uh week one up at Orchard Park. Take on the Dolphins, who beat the Patriots by the hair of their chin-chin-chin 17-16. Bills are fair minus three and a half. Give me the Bills to win this game 17-14. Patriots going against the New York Jets. Like I said, aforementioned loss to the Dolphins by a point at home. Mac Jones and company go up to MetLife Stadium and take on the Jets, uh, who lost their who lost their week one game against the Panthers on the road. Patriots favored minus six points. Give me the New England Patriots to win the game by the final score of 21-19. 17, 21-17, how about that? San Francisco going against the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles impressed me. Jalen Hurts and company getting the job done against the Falcons on the road to win their first game of the season. While the San Francisco 49ers, I understand that the Lions made a comeback late, but they were blowing the but they were blowing the line but they were blowing the Lions out the water by halftime. That, what Jared Goff and that hapless team does in garbage time, I could care less about. They beat the, they in the game in the moments and in the time of the game where where you know where it actually mattered. They beat the living crap out of the Lions. That's what matters to me. Both teams are one 0 heading into this game. San Francisco favored by three. Give me the 49ers to win this game by the final score of 28 to 7. By the final score of 28 to 10. Vegas took care of business against the Steelers division rival Baltimore on Monday night in an absolute classic. Steelers going into this game, of course Come back from 10-0 down against the Buffalo Bills. It's the Steelers' home opener. Steelers' favorite, minus 5.5. Give me the Raiders to win this game by the final score of 24-17. The Saints head into uh, Carolina coming off of their impressive Blowout victory against the Packers on Sunday. Jameis Winston might end up being the real deal, while Carolina got the job done against the Jets. Sam Darnold uh, mopping the floor with his old team. Both teams at one and zero, sharing first place with the Bucks in the NFC South. Saints favorite minus three and a half. Give me the Saints to win this game by the final score of twenty, of twenty-one to seventeen. Denver going up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars took care. Of, excuse me. Jaguars lost their Week One game against the Texans on the road. It's their home opener against the Denver Broncos, coming off of their victory against the Giants last week. D- Denver at one and zero. Jacksonville at zero one. Denver will win the game by the final score of six to nothing. Minnesota will. Win, uh, Minnesota go up against the Arizona Cardinals. Minnesota dropped their first game of the season to my Bengals in overtime while Arizona took care of business against the Tennessee Titans on the road. It's the Cardinals home opener. Cardinals favored by my, by three and a half. Give me the Arizona Cardinals to win this game by the final score of 28 to 24. The, the Atlanta Falcons going up against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay took care of business on Thursday night uh, on to to begin, excuse me, to begin the new season, their banner reveal uh, game, the kickoff game, going against the Dallas Cowboys took business against them last week, winning by a Ryan suck up field goal at the end of regulation. The Falcons lost their first game of the season against uh, the Eagles at home. Tampa Bay favorite minus twelve and a half. Give me the Bucks to win this game by the final score of thirty-five. 2-7. Dallas Cowboys, the aforementioned who lost their week one game against the Bucks by a field goal, going up against the Los Angeles Chargers, who won, had an impressive uh, gritty victory against Washington on the road 3,000 miles east to begin the new season. It's the Chargers' home opener as Dallas begins the season with the first two on the road. Chargers' favorite, minus three and a half. Give me the Chargers to win the game in a shootout by the final score. Of 35-28. Then it's the Seattle Seahawks going up against the Tennessee Titans. Seattle won their their season opener against the Titans division rival Colts on the road. They return home in front of fans for the first time since week 17 against San Francisco in 2019. They are 1-0 in the NFC West. Tennessee, 0-1, dropped uh, uh, dropped the season opener to ten, to Seattle's rival uh, Arizona Cardinals. Tennessee needs this game to avoid an 0-2 start and to avoid what could be a long season for them. Seahawks 5.5 points. Give me the Seahawks to win this game by the final score of 27-20. to Then it's the Sunday night game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens, Kansas City, of course, uh, won their home opener and won their season opener against the Ravens, division rival Cleveland, uh, with a nice come-from-behind victory by Mahomes and uh, by Mahomes, Kelsey, Hardman, and uh, and Tyreek Hill and Clyde Edwards-Helaire and the gang. They had to Baltimore for a second straight season in a row to take on the Baltimore Ravens. Kansas City beat Baltimore last time they were in town last September on Monday Night Football. Ravens uh, want to get the bad taste out of their mouth from that game and from their last game on Monday night against the Chiefs division rival Raiders uh, in a tough, uh, emotional, disappointing loss on Monday night in an overtime. Kansas City's favorite minus three and a half. Give me the Chiefs to win this game. 28-25. to 25. And then, of course, the Monday night game between the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. Detroit lost to the San Francisco, their last time out, first game of the season at home at Ford Field. Green Bay's home opener is, in front of, is on Monday night football in front of the country. Green Bay favorite, minus half. They got their doors blown off and were absolutely embarrassed. Their defense was pathetic. Aaron Rodgers, one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. They got the Lions on the schedule week two. It's almost perfect, and it's all—it's almost if it's like it was set up by God Himself that this is the game that gets the Green Bay Packers. Now they now they prove to America nothing by beating the living daylights out of uh, the Lions on Monday Night Football. But it's good. But it's a good uh, opponent to have if you want to boost team morale and boost your team psyche. Packers favorite by 11 points. This is a game this is a game, again, that is that was hand picked by the NFL and by God himself for the game to get the Packers back on track. Give me the Green Bay Packers to win this game by the final score of 42-17. And those are your week one, or excuse me, week one. Week two picks against the spread. Previewed uh, what the five or so games that I am uh, going to keep my eye on keep my eye on as should you heading into week two that will begin Thursday night and all through Sunday and of course next Monday with uh, conclude next Monday with Lions and the Packers let me know what you think follow your boy and tweet at your boy on Twitter at the J Shield and Instagram at the J Shield this is another episode of the Amatelic TIS podcast is in the books follow the show on Instagram at Amatelic underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatelic underscore it TIS it is your boy J Shields enjoy of baseball and enjoy week two of the national football league this weekend and enjoy week three of the college football season this weekend as well it's your boy josh shields talk to you later